Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. We're in a series called Under Pressure. How many of y'all got something out of last week's Under Pressure message? Wasn't it? Man, it's powerful. Last week was powerful. I believe this is going to be powerful as well. The Bible says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. I want you to pray with me. And you pray for me, I want to pray for you. And I want you to pray that God would use my life, my words, my thoughts, that they would become his and that he would communicate to you. And what I'm going to ask is that the Holy Spirit would give you ears to hear because the Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for these precious people that's come for the next few minutes to hear the living word of God. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to perceive what thus saith the word of God. I pray, Father, that it would become part of who we are, the fiber of our being, that we would stand strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. Increase our faith and increase our lives to be shining lights for your glory. You told us to arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. You said to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Lord, I pray you would ignite us with the fire of the Holy Spirit and the power of your word to illuminate our paths. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. How many know that's a good thing when the Lord's with you? Bob says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and and, and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. How many of you know it's good to have godly friends? How many of you know there's some friends that don't get the blessing of the Lord? You need to let those go. You need to try to win them to Jesus but keep them on the right periphery because if you let him in your inner circle mm -mm -mm. the bible says thus he left all that he had in joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate now joseph was handsome 
in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has in my, that he has to my hand there is no one greater in the house than i nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife how then can i do this great wickedness and sin against who against God. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. That she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out, with a loud voice and it happened when he heard me that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until the master come home. How many know every lie has to have a hint of truth to make it believable? Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant who you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. Man, what a tragedy. What, an, what a crazy story this is. Many of you know the story of Joseph. If you don't, I want to kind of catch you up. Joseph was the young son of a Hebrew man who his brothers didn't like the fact that he shared some of the things, some of the dreams that God was putting in his heart. And when God put the dreams in his heart about the sun, moon, and the stars, and about the, 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 the wheat or the corn, how that his was much more, and people were to look to him, his brothers got really upset. And to add to their upsetness was not only did it seem like God was favoring him, but his dad kind of favored him, made him a coat, as you know, of many colors, put together, sewn together, and give to him, and his brothers despised him. And so it was that one day his brothers see him in a desert place away from his father, decide to capture him, and I'm condensing this way down, decide to capture him, and they were going to basically put him in a hole and leave him there. And they took his coat, put some blood on it to tell the dad that basically an animal 
seized him, killed him, and he's no longer alive. His brother Reuben didn't want to see that happen, but at the, before they leave his brother alone, they see a group of a band of Ishmaelites traveling, and they decide to sell him to these Ishmaelites who were out to make a quick buck, and the Ishmaelites bought him, but they take him down to Egypt, and they find somebody of the, the, uh, the authority of Pharaoh, one of his captains, who could afford at a higher price because you know they bought him at a cheap price and sold him at a higher price. So they took him to a man by the name of Potiphar, a captain of the guard for the Egyptian army, sold him into slavery, and once they sold him into slavery, hey, I'm not going to need the boat today. I'm so sorry. Uh, my, my bad. My bad. That's what you guys are waiting on. Yes, my bad. I forgot to tell those guys we weren't going to use the boat today, but we'll get back in it later on in this series. Uh, anyway, uh, they... Uh, they sell him to Potiphar, and this captain of the guard buys this Egyptian slave, and he notices that the hand of the Lord is with him. Somehow, this man, everything that he does seems to be blessed. And we kind of find out why when you see this whole story unfold, his character. We see his character is at such a place in God that he, even when an opportunity would arise for him to do something that would be sinfully wrong, he doesn't do it. He doesn't take that opportunity. I've talked to people before and asked them the question, this is pre-Jesus days, and you, wouldn't, you can't imagine the responses that I got from this, but it's kind of the story or the, the, the question, if you were on an island by yourself with this person and no one would find out, what would you do? How many of y'all ever heard that question asked? Has it ever been posed to you? Have you ever said it to somebody else? Let me, nobody? Man, I really was lost and undone without God. So, this guy in a private place. See, it's not what you do as much in public that tells the story of who you are. It's what you do in private. It's when nobody is looking, when there's nobody to perform for, when there's nobody to put a show on in front of, when there's no one to impress, when there's nobody to be able to make, you, make them think differently of you. It's what you do when you're by yourself that begins to tell a story. And Joseph, here he is by himself, and we read the story, but I want to point out some things inside of this, this story that I pray will help you today. Today's under pressure title is The Pressure of Enticement. The Pressure of of enticement. You will throughout your life have to deal with an enticement. The enemy will set up scenarios throughout your life to entice you into his plan. And he's very strategic when he does it. Sometimes it's when you're on the mountaintop and sometimes it's when you're in the valley. You cannot really kind of predict when the enemy is going to come and try to entice you. Sometimes it's when people are in the lowest moments of their life that the enemy entices them with a way to feel better, and then after a while you find out he really wanted to get you bound in an addiction. 
And for some people, it's when they're at the highest point of their life, like Joseph, one of the high points of your life, when everything seems to be going good, you tend to be favored and an opportunity begins to be placed before you. And if you're not careful, it's in those moments, it's in those moments of enticement. And every enticement has some pressure with it. It has pressure with it. And those pressures tend to play out mostly in your mind. Mostly in your mind is where the pressure begins to play out. Did you know the average person has between 50 and 60,000 thoughts in a day? The average person has between 50 and 60,000 thoughts in one giving 24-hour period. Did you know that there's only 80,400 seconds in that 24-hour period? That means that you're having a thought every 1.3 seconds. And your, how many of you know your mind is busy? And where the devil works, his work is in your mind. That's why the Bible says for us to guard it. That's why the Bible says for us to take thoughts captive. That's why the Bible tells us to establish it. That's why the Bible tells us to renew it. Because as you think, so are you. The way you think about something, the fantasies you have in your mind, the way you process information, the way you think things through from beginning to end are the things that will begin to guide your life. What do you think about God? What do you think about holiness? What do you think about the Bible? What do you think about righteousness? What do you think about faith? What do you think about anointing? What do you think about healing? What do you think about the Holy Spirit? What do you think about deliverance? All of the questions that we could pose today really would begin to start some thought process through your mind. And again, we're in church, so I'm pretty sure I could know the way your thought process would track out. You're in church. You're in a place where we just sung about the goodness of God. We've done everything that we can to stimulate your thinking to a place where your faith would gravitate toward the things of God. And so, uh, so, so I recognize that in this place, it's easy to give that real good, godly, biblical answer. It is when you're all by yourself, it's when no one is looking, it's when you're all alone, it's when you're in a conversation that's not with a good Christian buddy or friend, it's when you're talking in the locker room or you're talking at the gym or you're talking at work, when you're talking with other people that, that now, now things can potentially begin to shift and we want to deal with taking care and dealing with the pressures of the moment. Let me remind you what pressure is. It's continual physical force exerted on or against an object by something in contact with it. That's one definition. The other one is the use of persuasion, influence, or intimidation to make someone do something. How many of you know Joseph was under pressure? You think about the pressure that he was under. One, this is his boss's wife. Did she have authority? Did she not have authority? What could she or could she not do? What did that look like? Could anybody find out, not find out? All of the pressure that was in his mind. And then you can kind of see his sense of 
character playing through, he starts with his boss man, Potiphar, who had not kept anything from him, had entrusted so much to him and his carefulness to be able to steward what somebody else had trusted him with. And then finally, you kind of see the fact that he's unwilling to commit the sin against his God. Throughout your life, you'll have to deal with enticements. Perhaps throughout any given week, you'll have to deal with enticements, pressures on your thinking, pressures on your emotions, pressures on your relationships, pressure that will come to you in ways. And it's in those moments that if you can win, if you can depend, Depend on the Holy Spirit. If you can do what's necessary to get victory, it is through that process that God can begin to elevate you in his kingdom and bless you with more and entrust you with more. But it's oftentimes in the times of pressure that people crack. People crack under pressure. And how many know when you crack under pressure, it can make a mess? Several years ago, my mother, my mother can make cabbage rolls that will make your lips beat your eyeballs to death. And she's probably watching right now, and she's like, uh-huh. Y'all know what cabbage rolls is, right? You know what those are. How many of you know what a cabbage roll is? Huh? Oh, y'all about, some of y'all about to get an education. Yeah. So it's basically you take hamburger meat, you put some binding with it, a bind, not, not, cloth bind, like rice or oatmeal or something like that, a bind. You make it into a ball. You put some spices in it. Then you roll it in cabbage leaves. You put it in a pressure cooker, and then you pour some tomato juice or whatever on it. She does different things with hers. Puts it in a pressure cooker for about 25 minutes. Now, to some of you, that might not sound good, but I'm going to tell you right now to this, this country boy, I'm telling you, that's good stuff. And you know the good thing about cabbage rolls, you can make a whole bunch of them in a pressure cooker, and if you have them left over, just dice that up, put you some vegetable, make you some vegetable soup, and oh, dear God, that's so good. It's good. You put you some mashed potatoes with that, or if you're from where I'm from, put you some mashed taters in there with, with it, put you, make you a pone of cornbread. Dear God, they're going to have that at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and I'm going to ask Jesus to let my mama cook it. But several years ago, y'all know how a pressure cooker is. You know, you clamp the top down on it. It's got the little thing that kind of jiggles on the top, the little jiggling thing. What my mom didn't know was that the thing that holds the jiggler had kind of come loose. And it had backed up. The threads on it had come loose. And that thing got to where maybe one or two threads was holding it, it built up pressure, and then that thing popped off, and the old, old faithful didn't have anything on mama's pressure cooker. It's amazing how a big ball of, of meat with cabbage on it could fit through a little hole like that, but you put enough pressure on it, and, and painted her ceiling, the tomato juice wall, ceiling, cabinets, floor, everything. And this thing was just, I mean, it, 
it nearly about emptied the a big pressure cooker totally out of all of its content because of the amount of pressure that was in it. When you get under pressure, when you get under pressure, the, the potential of making a mess is right in front of you. The potential of causing and creating havoc, things that that will cost you throughout your life. You get in enough emotional pressure. Again, if you, are, are, you, you get under enough emotional pressure and you just want to relieve, the enemy starts enticing you. He'll use some of your best buddies to do it, make you feel better, lighten your load. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol. doesn't matter if it's drug. doesn't matter what it is. The enemy will put it in front of you, and you wake up 10 years later, 12 years later, you don't have a home. Your kids don't know who you are. You don't own anything. You've been in and out of jail. You've got disease. You've got Got, uh, you got hepatitis. Things are going on. Your body's emaciated. You can't think correctly. Life is at such a low place. It all started because of the pressure. And as I told you last week, we're all under pressure. I'm sorry for the sound of that. Drowned it out. Somebody go turn it off. That thing's under pressure and it's about to blow. Last week, as I told you, we're all under pressure. You're under financial pressure right now in ways that you weren't a few years ago. It costs you more in gas, costs you more in groceries, costs you more. You're under financial pressure. You're under health pressure. Is the person next to you got COVID or not? Do they got flu or not? What do they got? I don't know. I'm just saying that we're under a climate of pressure. Pressure to perform, pressure to live up, pressure to make the test. If you're, if you're a student, pressure's coming to you because you're going to have to pass a test. Yeah, all kinds of pressure, peer pressure. Your peers wanting you to do things. Folks put you under pressure. The way they do it is throw accusations at you, make snide remarks, condescending comments, all kinds of things to put you to a place of pressure because they want to control. They feel like if they put you under enough pressure, you'll want to move. And if they can guide the way that you move, and the, here's what the devil does. The devil gets in the mind of people to try to help you and guide you in a path that the devil wants you to go down. Pressure. We are all under pressure. What do you do with the pressure that you're under? Last week, we recognized that not all pressure that we're under is always the work of the devil, but this is when it is the work of the devil. The pressure of the culture, the pressure from your friends, the pressure from someone else, the pressure from an enticement. The pressure, the pressure from that hot other person. Let me talk to the single people a minute. The pressure from that good-looking other person. The pressure, the enticement, the wooing. What do you do? What do you do when the, when the culture is pressing down on you to adhere to its ways and thoughts. What do you do with the pressure of your friends 
when it seems like so many of them agree with the culture and so many of them are looking at you and saying you're foolish. I'll tell you what some people have done. Some Even Christians, I'll tell you what Christians have done because they've gotten under the pressure of culture and the pressure of some of their friends who've accepted the culture's lies They've persuaded them to go under, here's what the big title is now, the deconstruct. Christians now are undergoing what's called deconstruction. The deconstruction is I want to throw out everything that I've been taught by my pastor, by my parents, as it pertains to the word of God, and I want to get rid of it all. And then I want to find me somebody that can help me understand it differently. Not understand it correctly, but understand it differently. And so now you've got these, they call themselves theologians, which I think is a lie because a theologian is the one who helps you study God. The word theo is the word for God. A theologian is one who studies God. But there's people who call themselves theologians and they're not responsible. They're not astutely responsible for good grammatical studies. And because they're not good with grammatical studies and linguistical studies, they accept, I believe, terrible, terrible lies. Lies that twist the meaning of Scripture in such a way, and because they say it smart, intelligently, it sounds so believable. If you're on TikTok, and I'm not, but if you're on TikTok, and I've seen some of the videos shared, if you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, and many people are, there are a lot of people getting shared, especially folks of new understanding new ideas, and they will make statements like one of them I saw not too long ago that said the word homosexuality is not in the Bible. And they, they give the, the Latin word, but again, it was terrible, terrible irresponsibility of language and utilized it to say the Scripture only meant pedophilia. Now, if you think that through well, it absolutely makes no sense. But, again, because it was put so eloquently and said that it was lost in Germany under the Latin transition of Scripture through the Latin Vulgate that eventually became English, that the word actually meant pedophilia. And that, friends is the way that a lie gets started and people start believing it, then you get under the pressure to accept such a lie. And when you get under the pressure to accept such a lie, people then, if you buy into that lie, then you feel like you've got to put pressure on some other Christian who truly believes the word of God, who truly honestly loves God and truly wants to help someone. And here is the deal, friend. That kind of message, it might help or at least feel like it helps someone who yearns for that lifestyle, but it helps no one who wants out of it. 
it, I, I'm trying to help this church. And if I get kicked offline, I don't care. Because you can get put in jail, you know, Facebook jail, when you make statements in this area because it's the culture's push right now. It's the wave of the culture. And the church, the church has said, well, just let people live the life that they want. And I say, yes, but no. I can't make anybody live to the scripture. But at the same time, when you don't hold culture accountable, it'll go to very, very, very dark places. The culture will start fighting Fighting, listen to me, the culture will start fighting for 50-year-old men to have a relationship with your 13-year-old baby. The culture will start fighting for people to have marital relationship with animals. Friends, all of this has happened before. You want to know why God judged the nations that the Israelites went into? He judged them for these kinds of actions. And it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and people become more and more delusional to what righteousness looks like, what godliness looks like, what ho and the, we are under the pressure And you'll meet somebody who says, well, I've just, I've went under, I've went under, I've deconstructed. I've deconstructed. And basically it says, I've torn down the tenets of biblical faith. And here's how they put it. Well, that's your interpretation. That's your interpretation. You have your interpretation, I have my interpretation wrong. That's not how the studying of the word is supposed to go. It's supposed to go line upon line, precept on precept, not to get what I want to say out of it, but exactly what God meant when he said it. They use arguments like, well, you eat shellfish, don't you? Well, how can you judge someone who eats shellfish? Because the Bible says that you're not supposed to eat shellfish. And along with in Leviticus where the Bible talks about sexual purity. Christians don't know how to answer that. They don't know what to say. So that starts the pressure. Maybe I should deconstruct. They don't know how to look at the scriptures and see the fact that God gave some universal laws and he gave some national laws for just the nation of Israel only. And how you see it play out is God never sent Israel in under the judges or the kings to ever judge any nation for eating crab legs. But he did for the murdering of babies and the sexual impurities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because, because people had crossed the universal moral law. I, 
I want you to understand that we're under pressure. And what I don't want to happen is some of you, and, and I'm not so much concerned, and I don't, I don't mean this how it's going to come out, but if you're over 40 years old in this room, I'm less concerned about you deconstructing. Hopefully you've done settled in your heart. You've had enough mileage with God. You've had enough encounters with God to say, I am unmovable and I am unshakable when it comes to God's word. But I'll tell you who I'm worried about. I'm worried about those that are under. I'm worried because, man, the wordsmithing of this day and time is smooth. The wordsmithing of this day and hour is so smooth that it'll get even those who were raised in church your whole life wondering if your kid's pastor told you the truth, if your mom and daddy told you the truth, if, if, if your pastor told you the truth. And, and, and instead of coming and saying, okay, let's have a conversation about that, the only conversation you'll have is with the same person that's feeding you that line of junk and eventually will persuade your mind if you're not careful. Because everybody has a convincing argument until you have somebody else that can speak their language with them. And when you start pointing out the error and their irresponsibility to truth, it's there that you could potentially make a good decision. But my greatest hope, I'm going to tell you my greatest hope, my greatest hope, is that you'll have such an encounter with the living God in some of these services that even if you can't figure it all out, you recognize I still want that kind of touch of God in my life. I want the glory of God. I want the power of God. I've talked to people who've deconstructed. I've had converse, lengthy conversations with people that's deconstructed. They found themselves other churches that don't teach priests like that. And so, you, and you ask, when's the last time you've seen a miracle? When's the last time you've seen someone delivered? When's the last time you've seen cancer depart? When's the last time you've seen some blind eyes open? When's the last time you've seen the power of God get rid of some demons? And they say, none. We just like what we hear. Just like what you hear? <laughs> Whoa, man. So you're, you're, you're reading about a God that don't even exist. What you're saying, no, the God that I serve gets behind his word with signs following. The God that I serve shows up with power. He's a transforming, transformational. He's a moving, powerful, mighty, mighty God. You'll see, you see the footprints of him com ooh, confirming his word with signs and wonder. You, the, the God that I'm preaching about, he's the God that says, I put up or I'll shut up. But I'm a God who puts up. I'm the one that says, if you'll preach about the blood, I'll make a new creation out of it. If you'll preach about transformation, I'll make an old thing brand new. If you'll preach about... Mm, So let me finish this. Culture might permit it. Culture might celebrate it. Culture might welcome it. Culture might even glamorize it. But it will not be God's word and it will not be God's way. And I want to talk to those who says, man, I really want to follow this God. So what are some lessons that we can learn from this story? Number one, let's learn some lessons from this story. Number one, someone somewhere 
will be attracted to you and desire you. That ought to be good news to everybody. And if it's good news to you, you don't have to let it all hang out to get them. Ouch. Someone somewhere will be attracted to you and desire you. The reason I say that that could be good news is to, you, you just don't have to try so hard. I could go off on a whole other different tangent right now and follow a rabbit down a bunny trail, but I'm going to be careful. I, I just believe that if you love and serve God, you, you just don't have to try that hard to get somebody else's attention. Man, you, you, you don't have, you, your Instagram page doesn't have to have stuff hanging out. I'll tell you what you'll attract when you got stuff hanging out. You, you'll attract trash. Just period, you will. You know, the Bible talks about our flesh as carnality. Carnality. Everybody say carnality. Do you know that, that, that has the root word carnivore? Do you know what a carnivore lives off of? Meat. Flesh. Flesh. It has to have it. We're sheep. You know what's supposed to feed us? Yeah, green grass. Something that God is produ producing from a seed. That girl. But what we do, if, if we're not careful, that old animalistic fallen nature starts to try to rise up and we get attracted to flesh. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever smelt roadkill on the side of the road, flesh don't smell so good after a few hours. I'm trying to help somebody out now. I used to ride motorcycles all the time. And, and when I first started riding, like I wore woods bikes all the time, motocross stuff. My Aunt Connie's here, and, and her husband Danny was a motocross guy, still works. He's AMA referee, all that sort of thing. And, and we'd go, he'd let me ride one of his bikes, and we'd ride and all that sort of thing. That was great. But when I started riding, like on a road, first off, cars was like, whoa, that car's awful much bigger than I thought it was. But the next thing was riding down a road like, what was that stench? Something, a roadkill dead over in the ditch next to you, a dead deer. My point is, is after a while, not very long, doesn't take long for flesh to start stinking. If you got involved in a relationship because of flesh, after a few minutes, it don't take long for it to start stinking. Come on, somebody. We're not supposed to be, that's not who, and when you get attracted to somebody that's just a flesh eater, all they got to do is for a period of time smell a little bit better, newer flesh that looks not so decayed, and they're off to the races again. 
But it gets attention quick. And it goes away just as quick. Okay. Someone somewhere will be attracted to you and desire you. That is coming. The, and, and I'm just putting that in someone somewhere, but I'm gonna, there'll be a situation that is attractive to you that'll try to bait you out of the will of God. I don't care where you, I don't care where you work, I don't care where you are, there'll be, there'll be a situation that'll rise that'll potentially bait you away from the will of God. Someone will say the right words. A scenario will play out. Nobody will be looking. You're the only one in the room with the money. You're the only person there. You're the only one that could potentially know. It's you or maybe somebody else who doesn't really care what you do. And the scenario could potentially play out. Second thing. Choose the Lord and don't be ruled by your emotions or attractions. Our culture is all about being ruled by emotions and attractions. Emotions and attractions. And here's what I know about emotions. They change about as fast as the clock does. Since you've been in this service, there's been moments you've been sad. There's been moments you've been happy. There's moments you've been excited and moments you've been about to fall asleep. You, you have run the gamut of emotions. Somebody made you feel happy. Somebody you don't know how they made you feel. Somebody creeped you out. Somebody made you scratch your head. Somebody made you feel all kind of ways. The point is, is emotions constantly change. And if you live a life according to your emotions, you are going to have a miserable, up and down, schizophrenic, crazy, bipolarish, all kinds of fruity life. Don't live by your emotions. Here you had this woman that was living by her emotions and her attractions. She thought he was a good-looking dude. But here was a guy that says, I'm not going to. And you know what? I think that's a miracle because the people that I usually see mostly living by their attractions and their emotions are the men. And I can say that because I am one. Come on, men. I know who I'm talking to in this room. I'm not a dummy. But what we're going to have to learn to do is be led by the Holy Spirit, not by our emotions, not by our attractions. You know, the Bible says not even to awaken love before it pleases. Do you know what that's telling you? You have control over it. Somebody says, I can't help who I love. Yeah, why aren't you in love with somebody in Australia right now? Because you ain't spending any time with them. You're not holding conversations with them. You're not investing yourself with them. So don't tell me you can't help it. Yes, you can help it. My Bible teaches you you can help it. You just disconnected your thinking. You disconnected the Holy Spirit to run after your emotions, and it's getting you in trouble. We're supposed to be people that's led by the Spirit of God. I don't care how pretty she looks. I don't care how much money he has. If God says no, run for your life. 
Well, you know, I just don't want to stay single all my life. I want to marry somebody. I heard somebody say this one time. I love it. I've used it two or three times. Here's how you find the person to marry. Every single person in this room, here's how you find the person that you ought to marry. I'm going to give it to you right now. You take off running for God as fast as you possibly can, as hard as you possibly can, as desperate as you possibly can. Look over, and if there's somebody right near you that's running at that pace, that's who you marry. That's who you go after. Don't be trying to pull that guy up back there It's disinterested in God that doesn't want anything about God. And you get his attention, you start saying, come on up, come on up a little closer. Once you catch him, he'll go right back. Is this helping anybody or hurting anybody? <laughs> Come on, man. Don't be, don't, don't let your emotions, you got to pray about it. If you would let your emotions go and they get you involved in the wrong relationships, and I'm going to just be very transparent and personal here. I've seen this play out in my family. The attraction gets your attention. You start down a path that years later you live in with scars and pain and brokenness that all because emotionally it got your attention. It's a painful place to live. Listen. When you're led by your emotions, those emotions may dictate the way you live the rest of your life. I celebrate in this building any of our single parents. Some of those was legitimate, but some of them, if you'll be honest with me, was illegitimate in the way that it went about. You weren't married. You didn't have an undercovenantial relationship. You didn't follow God. And many of us have been in that position. So I'm not putting down guilt and condemnation. What I am saying is maybe at a time in your life you wasn't prepared to make some of the decisions that you've had to make and make the sacrifices that you've had to make and pay the money that you've had to pay and do the things that you've had to do all because... Your emotions ruled your decisions. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I'm not trying to be hurtful to anybody. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I am trying to help somebody who right now, you know, because the culture has the pressure. It's cool now to be baby mama, baby daddy. It's not so cool to be biological mama, biological daddy, in love, married 20, 30 years. That's not cool. That's like, why? People ask me, how long have you been married? Well, actually, in June, this coming June will make 30 years. 30 years? And people are like, whoa, whoa. People think that's a big deal. That's a big deal. The only reason it's a big deal is because the culture has cannibalized so many others. It ought to be a normal deal. I'm not trying to make it tough on you today. I'm just trying to tell you that the culture will put pressure on your mind and on your life to make some decisions that the enemy will do his very best to destroy you and hurt. Now, again, 
nobody would trade anything for their babies. I'm not saying that, and I'm not asking you to despise that, okay? I am asking you that if you had sex outside of marriage, get it under the blood of Jesus Christ and move on with your life and raise that kid, and we're here for you, and we'll love you, and we love him with you, and we'll do everything that we can to support you all the way. What is he talking? Repentance, isn't it? Yes. Again, the culture has so manipulated our minds. Number three, don't put yourself in a position for the accusation. Out of all the things that Joseph did right, there's one thing he did wrong. He went in that house with that woman by himself. He went in that house with that woman by himself. And her lie had the truth written into it, a hint of truth written into it. She had his garment in her hand. I can see her now. He, he disappointed her. He broke her heart. He wouldn't have anything to do with her. She held on to him. She grabbed hold of his garment. She, ah, he won't have anything to do with me. I'll fix him. I'll fix him right now. I can see her messing her hair up. Tearing her clothes a little bit and start screaming. He tried. And here's my proof. I've got his garment. He tried to run away, but I got his garment. Y'all saw him run outside. And he had to, don't put yourself in the places of compromise. Your job your reputation, your family, your livelihood, your finances, everything are at stake. Your ministry. And then the fourth thing. Here's the fourth thing. Just kind of I look in this passage. It's a little three-letter word. Three-letter word. I love it. It's the word R-U-N. Run. The Bible says for us to flee the very appearance of evil. The Bible says submitting ourselves to God, resist. The word resistance can also mean run away from, turn away from, run from the enemy in the sense of his enticements. Run from your lusts. The Bible says you're led astray when you are led by your own lusts and enticed. Run away from that dead man inside of you that thinks he could live again if he had another flesh encounter. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.